Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. I'm going to go over uh, some state stuff with you real quick because I've heard this uh, over the years, this question of you know how, uh, how Trump could win the, uh, the state of North Carolina, but uh, Dan Forrest lose. Like that sort of stuff, um, and I, and I've said for years it's because North Carolinians are ticket splitters and and have been for decades. Uh, this is this is not new. Um, there's also a you know a base of power that the uh, Democrat Party enjoys at the state level, and you know you don't dismantle a Democrat Party machine uh, that was as entrenched as the machine was for a century and a half. In North Carolina, you, you don't you don't remove that so easily, you know. Uh, one four-year term for Pat McCrory uh, doesn't do it, you know. Um, so Carolina Journal published a piece the other day by Dallas Woodhouse. Dallas is the former Republican Party executive director, um, and now and and he was a former reporter, I believe, before that. Uh, or a columnist or something, but he worked in media before. Uh, he says, for either side to achieve their goals in 2024, they got to improve vote totals in counties that were won by Cooper, but also won by Trump. Okay, these Trump-Cooper counties. These are the key to victory in 2024. Okay? After beating Pat McCrory in 2016... By 11,000 votes, there was like like four and a half million total votes cast. So Cooper beat McCrory by 0.22%, right? 2016. But then, four years later, coasted pretty easily by about a 4% margin over Dan Forrest, 2020. Height of COVID, too. Um, meanwhile, in 2020, Trump won uh, by 1.3%. Cooper won by 4%. How is that possible? It means roughly 5 to 6% of voters split their tickets at the top. That is a common formula for Democrat dominance in races for the governor's mansion over the last half century. Um he then goes through and he highlights some of the um, these bellwether counties, these uh, Trump-Cooper counties. Uh, for example, uh, Nash and Wilson. Nash County and Wilson County. So Mike Easley and Roy Cooper both come from Nash County. But Nash County tends to vote for Trump. But if it's one of their own, then they'll vote for their own. They know Roy Cooper. They know his family. Right? He's got ties in the area. They know Mike Easley. And Wilson County, well, that, that was Jim Hunt's hometown. So while those counties go for Trump, they would go for Democrat governors. Um, Nash County, where Cooper's from, Trump won the county, but he only won it by 84 votes. 
uh, over Hillary Clinton. Nash was one of only two counties that Trump won in 2016, but then lost in 2020. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden came out ahead in Nash County by 49 votes. So Nash County actually swung against Trump. Um, But since that time, the county seems to have moved increasingly towards the red column. Um, Ted Budd beat Sherry Beasley in Nash County by seven points, for example. Wilson County. Joe Biden beats Trump in 2020 by three points. Roy Cooper beats Forrest by ten. Ted Budd, however, two years later, he beats Sherry Beasley by three. So Wilson County and Nash County, right? The candidates matter. Then there are Scotland County and Anson County. Right? Scotland is... Uh, one of the only counties that voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, but then switched over to Trump four years later in 2020. Same thing you see here in 2020. Trump carries the county by two points. Cooper wins it by six. Ted Budd, two years later, he wins it by six. Anson County. Normally a Democrat stronghold. In 2016 and 2020, it elected Democrats across the entire ballot. However, two years ago, Ted Budd won it 51 to 46. Too early to know, is this some sort of a blip? Or is this now a trend? Also, we've got Pasquotank County, Martin County, and Lenore, or as I call it, Lenoir counties. Uh, So uh, these three counties are small counties. Uh, They have split the top of the ticket in recent elections. Pasquotank, for example, uh, went for Biden. Uh, Cooper begged uh, a victory there as well in 2020. Uh, But Ted Budd, he won by 836 votes two years later. Martin County, uh, Bud won that one as well. Trump won it also, but Roy Cooper won it just barely. Lenoir County, uh, Trump won it by 900, almost 1,000 votes. Cooper won it by 300. See, so ticket splitting. People keep asking about the ticket splitting and about the election fraud and how is it possible. This is how. Okay, These counties have histories of splitting their votes between Democrats and Republicans. And also remember, you know, Donald Trump did a decent job of peeling away non-conservative voting members of the Democrat coalition, right? He pulled some of those voters over to his camp um, and they would not they would not be as willing to vote for a conservative like Dan Forrest. Um, New Hanover County. North Carolina's largest swing county, one of the two counties that voted Trump in 16, Biden in 2020. In 2020, also, New Hanover County flipped Democrat after voting Republican in the last five presidential elections. Not only was New Hanover one of the two counties that flipped from red to blue, it's also one of the two counties in the state that was red in 2008. It didn't even vote for Obama. Like, that's the shift happening right now in New Hanover County. That's Wilmington, right? Performing better in these mostly small counties will not guarantee victory on a statewide basis for either party, but it is an important piece of the puzzle. So, looking at, so going into this election season, 
You want to keep these counties sort of in mind, and I'll remind you of them again as we go. Trump Cooper counties. These counties that flipped based on um, the presidential or gubernatorial cycles. Then there was this piece at ABC News the other day. Can Democrats bounce back in North Carolina after 2023 gut punch? Democrats are trying again to reel in their white whale of North Carolina this November after years of losses culminated in Republicans clinching a historically strong position to end 2023. They really do think like, this is the year we're going to totally flip it. Well, you got the new uh, uh, the the Democrat Party chair, uh, the high school girl. No, I'm kidding, but she's like, She's the youngest chair in in the country, y'all. And she says, y'all. And this is the direct appeal to rural voters who will become Democrats again. Um, Because she says, y'all. And she drives a pickup truck. I don't even think it's an EV truck. I don't know if she has carbon offsets for that thing. I don't know. The GOP dealt Democrats a body blow last year when a new legislative supermajority secured after the defection of a liberal state lawmaker, Trisha Cotham, bulldozed through Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's veto and passed a 12-week abortion ban, gerrymandered legislative maps, and enacted other conservative bills on education and transgender rights. Democrats, stuck in a deep minority... Watched from the political sidelines. Now Democrats are looking to punch back, help President Joe Biden flip the state for his re-election bid, and retain the open governorship, insisting that their 2023 setbacks ignited new resolve to get off the mat. That's it. See, like now, now they're going to do it. I know we've been talking about flipping the state for a while now, but this time... This time, for sure, we will rise again. It's going to happen this year. Now they got a plan. They got a plan. Going over this piece from ABC News. Story by Tal Axelrod. Tal Axelrod at ABC News. He says the party, talking about North Carolina, can Democrats win it in 2024 after the gut punch of 2023? The party for years has crowed of its chances to make gains in narrowly divided North Carolina, only to fall short. Democrats have not won a presidential or U.S. Senate race since 2008 here. And their state legislative presence has, mm, shall we say, atrophied. The state's new congressional lines are expected to leave Democrats holding four out of 14 U.S. House districts, at best, right, at best. But Democrats say this year is different. This year is going to be totally different, okay? A slate of hardliners expected to top the ticket for Republicans risks energizing Democrats and alienating swing voters, they say. Who are they talking about? Well, Donald Trump and Mark Robinson. New leadership atop the Democrat state party has led the charge to expand its presence outside urban and suburban enclaves. Because she says y'all. Her, you know, Clayton Anderson, or Anderson Clayton, I forget. She has two last names. Anyway, she, yeah, she says y'all, and she drives a pickup truck. 
And she drives around rural areas and she says y'all to these rural folks. And that means they're going to be on board with the non-binary LGBT agenda, uh, with the equity and inclusion stuff. Right. Obviously. I mean, if I have to explain the connection here to you, uh, well, you're probably just a bigot. So, uh, But trust me, you go to these people and you say y'all enough times and boom, they're going to vote for this stuff. Uh, Biden's campaign has indicated that it views North Carolina as a key electoral college expansion opportunity. Oh, also Dan Bishop. I said Trump, Robinson, and also Dan Bishop. Um, They interviewed Michael Bitzer, who is um, a political science guy at uh, Catawba College, right? Um, He leans on the left, and I believe he has muted me on the Twitter machine. I'm not bitter at all. No, no, I'm not, actually. Um, I find it comical, but whatever. Um, He says, quote, I usually identify 3% to 5% of the electorate that swings one way or the other. Is their rhetoric too far? And does that alienate that margin of error in the polls to determine the margin of victory? If it's not this top of the ticket, what will energize Democrats? Right? If it's not Trump, Robinson, Bishop... If that doesn't get Democrats angry enough to turn out and vote, what would, right? He says, I think that the way it seems like things are playing out, Democrats certainly can flip this state by very thin margins. But it's going to take effort on their part and perhaps some luck given to them by Republicans. Mark Robinson's campaign swatted away such predictions. Spokesperson Michael Lonergan telling ABC News that Democrats are terrified that Robinson is building momentum and support across the state because he's focused on solutions to these issues that affect North Carolinians every day. But even some Republicans have been voicing concerns over the expected ticket. One GOP strategist that is not named by ABC News says, quote, what you have to do in North Carolina is you have to find candidates who can not only appeal to the base, but who can win unaffiliated voters. If Mark Robinson is the nominee for governor and Dan Bishop is the nominee for attorney general, that's a bad recipe for winning an election in North Carolina. Uh, Democrats are also expanding their campaign infrastructure, apparently. It goes on to say here that the party did not field candidates in uh, about a third or a quarter, I guess, of all of their state legislative races in 2022. That was a strategic failure. This year, Democrats have candidates running in all of the 170 races except two. Um, Underscoring its interest in North Carolina, uh, the Biden campaign included the state in its initial $25 million ad buy, and it tapped my good friend Ray Cooper to serve as a member of the president's National Advisory Board, Ooh, uh, with more moves expected to come. Um. Morgan Jackson, a veteran North Carolina Democrat strategist, says uh, the Biden campaign is going to have to balance investing in the state with defending a string of purple states that he won in 2020, all while suffering from low approval ratings fueled by dour opinions on the economy. Numbers that he says are, quote, a challenge. <laughs> That's, yeah, uh, just a little bit. Dr. Andy Jackson at the John Locke Foundation, uh, this is one of the metrics that he is constantly tracking Um, voter registration changes in North Carolina. So a couple of weeks ago, he took another look at this, as he does. As I mentioned, he he tracks this stuff. Um, And so he says, uh, with a new year upon us, 
Let's take a look at how voter registrations have changed over the last two years. Why look at changes over two years instead of one, he says. Well, the North Carolina State Board of Elections conducts biennial list maintenance at the start of every odd-numbered year. So 21, 23, 25, 27, right? In all these years, there will be biennial, every other year, uh, list maintenance. And they remove hundreds of thousands of registrations that have been inactive or unreachable for almost a decade. That's how long it takes for you to get scrubbed off of the voter rolls for inactivity. And they send you these cards in the mail. Keep that in mind. I'm going to come back to that. They'll send you cards and they'll be like, hey, do you still live here? And if you uh, if it doesn't go back to them, then that counts as it was received. They 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 assume that the Postal Service will send it back if you've moved. Of course, the Postal Service stops doing that for you after, like, what, six months, right? Anyway, while that maintenance is important, it means that measuring registration changes over the two-year election cycle more accurately reflects what is happening in voter registrations. So, here are the key findings. Democrats are down. Republicans are up, and unaffiliateds are up a lot. All right? Right now, in North Carolina, uh, overall registrations are at 7.4 million registered voters. And of those, you've got the breakdown as follows. Number one, unaffiliateds. 2.7 million unaffiliateds. Number two, Democrats, 2.4 million. Number three, Republicans, 2.2 million. Libertarians, they grew as well. They picked up like 2,000 registrations. They're now at 50,078. Hey, the journey of a million miles starts with a single step. Um, Oh, we also have 1,795 Green Party members. And no labels. Already has more than the Greens. They've got 50, or sorry, 5,478. Okay. The decline, Andy Jackson writes, the decline in the number of registered Democrats is not new. It began during the Obama administration after a surge of Democrat registrations ahead of the 2008 election. The rise in unaffiliated res, uh, re- registrations is also part of a long-term trend. Over the past 10 years, Democrat registrations have declined by somewhere in the neighborhood of about 337,000 over 10 years. So they're losing 33,000 a year, basically. Republican registrations increased. 205,000. So they're picking up 20,000. And if that current trend continues, there will be more Republicans than Democrats in North Carolina somewhere around 2027. That's what the trend line is. See, so when you hear this talk about flipping the state and you hear talk about we're a purple state and all of this, I understand where that comes from. 
because like as I've said repeatedly here we we are in a realignment of the political parties you see it with this you got a lot of people that are coming from up north and they're Republicans and they're leaving New York they're leaving New Jersey right there are Republicans that are up there they may be registered as Democrats because uh, outside of like Staten Island you know, you can't get elected on Long Island or uh, in the city or anything if you are a Republican, right? So there aren't, I mean, there are Republicans in New York. They don't have any power to affect any of their government, though. And so they're moving out. And they're coming down here. I mean, hello, Cary, right? You know what Cary stands for? Cary, North Carolina, containment area for relocated Yankees. That's... It was, it's in the charter, I believe, the city's charter. Um, the biggest story, though, is the continued rise of the unaffiliated. They increased by 872,000 over a 10-year period. So picking up roughly 87,000 registrations every year for the last decade. The proportion of Republican registrations has remained virtually unchanged. It's about 30% over the entire decade so while so they're maintaining because the state's growing so they're growing right the republican party is picking up registrations as the state grows so their proportion of the registered voters has remained steady at 30 percent democrats have lost they keep losing people unaffiliated have exploded uh but the democrats have been shrinking keep in mind most unaffiliated voters behave as partisans though so people who use this term oh I'm an unaffiliate or I'm an independent voter that 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 actually doesn't mean anything they they are they're they're usually voting one way or the other and in fact vote in a highly partisan way but they are registered as unaffiliated they vote for one party over the other most of the time that's me I vote for Republicans over Democrats in general elections virtually a hundred percent of the time because the Democrat Party has very little in common with, well, I would say American ideals, um, but very little in common with, with me and my political philosophy. Now, that being said, I will go vote in Democrat primaries, particularly in the local races, because there are no Republicans. So being an unaffiliated voter helps in Mecklenburg County. Members of the two major parties are also more likely to turn out to vote than unaffiliated voters or members of the minority parties the uh, or the you know the libertarians the no labels the greens right if you are a member of the republicans or democrats chances are you're turning out to vote because you're still wearing the jersey right you're still on the team you're still part of the organization you're still identifying as a member of this group Unaffiliated voters get distance from having to be identified with all of the, you know, the dregs of the particular political party. They don't want to be associated with them, so they get to enjoy that that uh, that distance. But they also don't turn out to vote as often. So how are you going to get if you're if you are a party like the Republicans and you only have you know one out of three registered voters? You assume most of the Democrats are not going to be for you. Means you've got to go and get the unaffiliated who tend not to vote a lot, and those who do tend to vote in a partisan way. So maybe split that in half too. How are you going after these half of these unaffiliated, the two billion unaffiliated? How are you going after them? And how are you 
uh, going to get them to the polls. That's the strategy that the Republicans need to be focused on. How are you getting unaffiliated and how are you going to ensure that they cast their votes on Election Day or before Election Day? Uh, Republican turnout is usually around 82 percent. Democrat turnout, about 75. Unaffiliated, 70. That's what you're up against. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out 704-570-1110 1-800-WBT-1110 the email is pete at the pete calendar show.com uh that is where and i just received a uh, message there from uh john and uh went to confirm um former wbt uh, news director and anchor Jim Barrell passed away this morning, uh, according to his family. He had mast cell lymphoma uh, that he was just diagnosed with, uh, I believe it was last month. It was expected to be extremely treatable, but also aggressive. He had just turned uh, 71. Um, that's all of the information that I have. He had... Uh, after he had retired out of WBT, he had actually moved up to Hendersonville, um, and he arrived up there uh, in the mountains of Western North Carolina uh, while I was still working up there in Asheville. And so uh, I asked him if he wanted to um, to come and do some news, uh, you know, for fill-in purposes and the like on uh, the station there, and he did. And so I got to work with him again. Uh, Jim Barrell was, uh, he was my mentor in the, in the WBT newsroom. He was the afternoon anchor. When I first started in 1999, I was a reporter and, um, we, uh, were paired to, or sorry, I was first, I was a, uh, an, uh, part-timer, not an intern, but a part-timer. And so we got paired together because I would pull all of these audio clips from the CBS feeds and CNN feeds that he would then use in his um, newscasts. And so I got to work with him there uh, in that regard in the afternoons. And then um, he, uh, well, then I became a reporter. Uh, and so, again, working sort of the, sec- uh, the you know second shift, I would cover city council, county commission meetings. And he, was, he would come in, you know, after John Stokes did the morning shift, John would leave at 11 and then Jim would start at 11.30, and they would do half-hour newscasts, and Jim would go through, I think, about 7 o'clock or so. And um, and so I worked with him, and he, you know, he, he was my, my mentor. He was my friend. Um, I had no idea that he had been di- diagnosed with this. I just, we had just seen him. We were just swapping text messages with him. We just saw him a couple weeks ago. 
we were talking about getting up there to see him again um, probably in another month. Um, he leaves behind his wife, Robbie, and his daughter, Amy. Um, and so we're just sad to hear that news. Um, I'm kind of shocked. Did not, I did not know that, uh, that he had been diagnosed with this mantle cell lymphoma. And, uh, but then again, I don't know if he would even have told me, uh, but yeah, he was the, he was the anchor at WBT for years and years and years. And, uh, and then became news director. Uh, and then, like I said, while I was up in Nashville, he, uh, was out at WBT and retired up to the mountains and he would always post on his Facebook page. Um, he would walk up, uh, what's called jump off rock in, uh, Henderson County, uh, named after a local native uh, story of a you know woman whose husband went into battle and never returned, and so she was so distraught that she flung herself off of the side of this mountain. Um, but it's like one of the highest peaks, and you get this view uh, over miles miles and miles and miles and so he was up there he that was his daily walk he'd walk all the way up this mountain he would take pictures and stuff um and so he'd send it he would he would send me uh <laughs> dilbert cartoons like every day because he subscribed to the dilbert cartoons and i guess i should have known something was wrong when i didn't get one today uh because he would always forward them over to me so we could share his subscription i think <laughs> huh. Uh, but I do know I do know he's in a better place. I do know that about Jim and his faith. Um, it's kind of funny too when you know we would hash out all sorts of uh, philosophical and religious questions back in the newsroom um, with some of the other members. Uh, I don't need to name them, but one in particular who was atheist and uh, and very very left of center. So it was always very interesting to have these have these conversations and the only time I ever saw uh, Jim ever lose his cool ever was arguing with this individual and the person attacked him personally for his faith and he, and Jim had sat there listening to years of arguments between me and this other guy and this other guy because he's a lefty he would always personally attack you and I would never take the bait and um, and so Jim finally stands up and says, Pete may have put up with that bleep, but I don't. <laughs> it's the only time I ever saw him lose his cool uh, was that one moment. Um, yeah, he was a big supporter when um, when I joined the or when I started the podcast up, when I got uh, laid off at WWNC. He's one of my biggest supporters. Um and biggest fans and a great friend and a great mentor. So, yeah, our uh, prayers and our thoughts are with the Barrel family, all of his uh, family members and his friends and former colleagues as well. Uh, Jim Barrel, rest in peace, one of the great ones. So, that's it for today. We will uh, talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>